Hello and welcome to the 361 Degrees podcast, episode 10. My name is Ben Smith from Wireless Worker. Ewan McLeod, who are you? I'm Ewan, I'm from Mobile Industry Review. And I'm Rafe Blanford from All About Symbian. And Ewan McLeod, why do you sound like you're talking to us through a giant telephone? Uh, well, that's because I'm in Texas, man. I'm in Austin, Texas. Uh, uh, you're not actually using an old-fashioned telephone to talk to us, though. You are using the interwebs. And what, I mean, hey, I'm using a MacBook Air and uh, a very fancy headset. Brilliant. It, it sounds crystal clear at this end. And Rafe Blanford, yeah. you are still in the UK. Yes, I'm still in the UK, down in deepest, darkest Sussex. Very nice. And you uh, and McLeod, why are you in the United States again? Well, there were some conferences I had to get to and some people I had to meet. And, uh, you know, I've been out of the country now half... I wonder if I can get a tax break, actually, because I've been out of the country for more than half a year, I think, so far. Excellent. And uh, this is the la- this is episode 10. This is the last one in series one. Um, so basically what we're going to do is have a very short break, maybe for a week or two, and we'll be back with series two very soon. That's all arranged and sorted out. Um, but we just need a quick break to get ourselves sorted out, and we're going to pop out and try and interview some people and generally make a better podcast than we would have done if we just sat here gassing away. Talking of gassing away, um, Ewan, tell us about this week's topic. Uh, this week's topic, uh, we, we are talking about bothersome uh, that's Rafe's word. Bothersome issues in the mobile industry. Uh, I think it's it, uh, Ben described it as a grumpy old man uh, podcast, which I think, uh, based on what I'm going to be talking about, I think that's quite accurate, actually. Yeah, I mean, what we what we're going to talk about is just um, the things that annoy us, the things that we want to get Ugh. improved, and uh, I, after we had that discussion. Um, about uh, you know some some of the some of the topics the more contentious topics in the past and also that favourite handsets one um, there's clearly a lot of people out there who sort of uh, you know quite enjoyed that uh, that kind of stuff and um, we'd really appreciate some comments on uh, all the things that you find annoying as well because we know that there are mobile operators out there secretly listening so uh, you might even get your view heard if you uh, let us know in the comments so uh, why don't we kick off and well I mean. The, re- the reason we're calling this episode bothersome is because of Rafe Blanford, because he won't let us use any naughty words, that and the fact that we want to keep our iTunes clean tag moderately intact. Um, I so, think we uh, might get more downloads, actually, if we had if we said, no, it's, it's 18 plus. Well, maybe we'll try that in series two, the, uh, the editor's uncut late night version of 361 Degrees podcast. <laughs> so, uh, Rafe Blanford, uh, you can go first. What is your first bothersome thing? Well, my first bothersome thing is that when you uh, get a phone, you use it in lots of different situations, yet it always rings for the same amount of time. We've got all these great things called profiles on mobile phones, which let you change the ringing tone or the loudness or whatever it happens to be. But actually, one of the fundamental things is how long it rings for, because sometimes I've got my phone in my pocket and fine, I can get to it very quickly. Sometimes it's buried in the bottom of a bag, so I can't get to it so quickly. And sometimes it's over the other side of the room. And I know I can call up my operator and change my voicemail settings and set it to ring for longer before it goes to voicemail. But that's a function I'd really like to have on the phone so that when it you know, is in a certain situation, it rings me for the right length of time and I can actually get to the phone and answer it because nothing upsets me more. Nothing is more bothersome than when the phone rings and you don't quite manage it to answer it in time. And then you go, all right, I'll ring that person back. You ring that person. Of course, they're still talking to your voicemail. And so it's engaged. So it just really gets my goat. 
and I, t- I tell you the other time that that particular annoys me as well is if I'm getting a call from somebody and I can't take it or I don't want to take it, let's say, um, oh, you know, um, a, a, a recruitment consultant, you know, I'm sorry to any recruitment consultants listening, but, you know, when, I'm, when, when we've been advertising for a job or something, you're always being chased by the more state agents or someone like that, people who, frankly, you just need them to talk to your voicemail. If I reject their call, they know from the number of rings they've been that I rejected the call rather than I wasn't available to answer my phone. So I have to leave it on my desk, ringing and disturbing me to ring out to voicemail rather than just going to voicemail straight away. And if people were familiar with the idea that there were no standard number of rings, different people would have different number of rings in different contexts, like you said, um, that, that would be quite handy, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I'm, I'm shaking my walking stick in agreement. <laughs> you and McLeod, what's your bothersome thing? Well, just the, the underlying point there is we haven't properly got um, status working, have we? Because um, if we had exactly. proper status, then um, we wouldn't need to worry about rings too much. But my problem uh, is it's MMS. Now, I have no problem with MMS, particularly uh, when I'm in the UK. It, it seems to work. Most of the networks now have that uh, working properly. In fact, I get rather annoyed when people send me an MMS because I can't do anything with it. It's stuck on my phone. I have to then save it and stick it into my my cloud in the Google or whatever. Um, but just this weekend, I had a text from uh, one of the people I'm working with here in the States. Sorry, it's an SMS. No, no, an MMS from her. She was sending me a picture of this hall. Um, and she she mistakenly sent it by MMS. I had to go back to her and say, could you send this by email, please? And she, she apologized and, and did so. That worked fine. The MMS, though, right, she's on AT&T. Uh, so she transmitted the MMS and she paid money for that to come to me. And then what I got was, you've been sent a picture message by some phone number. This is, this is a text message from Vodafone. Open it at HTTP Vodafone.co.uk. Get my photo. Your password is something really annoying and very difficult to remember. I got a sodding text message from it, right? Yeah, well, we've seen this before. It doesn't happen so much in it, uh, when you're internal to the UK. But um, I, I'm aghast that this is still not fixed. This is not difficult. This is just software in the network. When I click through to this sodding URL, now sodding, that's still clean, right, Ben? Yeah, I, I'm going to give you, I'm gonna give you mm. a yellow card warning on that, but keep going. Right, when I click through to this URL on my BlackBerry, it gives me the full-size, full-size Vodafone site that I have to wait for hours to download because I'm actually, this is a BlackBerry Curve I'm using. And then I have to type in my phone number and this, you know, stupid password, which is just, and then I see the crap resolution picture. Stupid. I, I can't believe we're still, no wonder, right? No wonder when Apple bring out iMessage, everyone's, in fact, I did a note about this uh, on, on Twitter. And people say, oh, don't worry, once iMessage comes out, it won't be a problem anymore. I mean, yeah, I know that, but what about the operators? This is why they're being sidelined. If they can't make this simple stuff work, ridiculous. So that lady paid to send that MMS, and I paid to receive it. Ridiculous. So that's my first arse. And I can't fathom out for the life of me who it was who sat down and said, oh, yeah, um, when, we, when we're designing uh, the connections between different networks, um, in, in these scenarios where it's kind of a, an unusual or difficult connection, what we'll do is we'll just, um, we'll just send them a URL to, to link through instead. You know, because um, quite often 
although you know some people might have MMS enabled on their handsets, but they might not have a data plan, or they might have a data plan where it gets pretty expensive for them to um, to browse if you're on a pay-as-you-go or something like that. Um, you know, why is that? Why is that a remotely good idea? You know, you know what? who assume? I'll tell you why it's a remotely good. Right, the reason it is because some arse somewhere, right? They had this meeting. You guarantee this happened, right? There was a a meeting of people around a board table. Right, each of our different operators, and at some point they thought, how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to deal with this? And the, the, the clock marched on, right? And they're all sitting there with their Diet Cokes and their Nike trainers because they're all in fancy offices, you know, being cool. And about 4.30, everyone looked at the clock and went, do you know, we still haven't, you know, we just want to go home now. And, uh, oh, screw it, let's just send them a URL. Yeah, yeah, everybody agree? All those in favour? Yeah, brilliant. That's what's happened. Rafe, you know about networks and stuff. Why the hell does this happen? Well, this just happens because they haven't got the right agreements or as you and says it's the software in place. It's not rocket science because all of this MMS stuff in particular is standard payloads, standard formats. And why they can't pass that across from network to network, I really don't know. I mean, of course, all this stuff originated when uh, a lot of the phones weren't MMS capable and so you needed to provide an alternative option and obviously translating it to SMS and URL was assumed to be the best way to do things. You know, when we go back, you know, five years, actually, there, you know, pretty much were only the newer phones were MMS compliant, especially early on where there were some standards issues. But now every phone should be MMS compliant. I mean, I'd go so far as to say you can probably assume if someone's being sent an MMS message, the chances are their phone is capable of receiving it. So, you know, just pass it on. But presumably, in this case, something went wrong somewhere in the network as it passed back to Newbury and then back to the states where Ewan would be. Um, yeah. So enormously frustrating, and it's yeah, it does seem well, do, do you know inexplicable. The, the problem I've got is I, so I did a tweet about it, and then people were replying to me saying, "Why didn't you get them to email it?" I said, "Well, yeah, yeah, I, I have I have got the image. It's fine. They've emailed it. The, that's not the point, right? The point is." You're a billion-dollar company. Work. Yeah, you're trying to make money out of this stuff, and you're worried about Apple, uh, Google, and everybody else taking your, uh, um, you know, eating your breakfast. You, you make sure that the basic stuff works. Shouldn't well, no. Well, you you would have thought that that'd make business sense, but clearly it doesn't always. Yeah. And you know, there's no excuse here because it's not really a cost issue. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would imagine what's happening is there's some failure of handset identification, and therefore it's falling back to the simplest possible mechanism to send it. Yeah. But really, it sort of defies explanation. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that Ewan was using some exotic handset to receive it that you know, hadn't made it into the, the database of this is a handset we recognise. Was that the case, Ewan? It's a Vodafone-branded BlackBerry. Okay, so I'd like to think that that would be a reasonable explanation, but clearly that's not the case. It's just not been updated. Um, well, maybe it's a European BlackBerry, which yeah. Americans don't recognise or something. But still, I think... I think uh, in the words of you, and that's totally unacceptable. Yeah, and uh, it, it makes it makes me think that you know you said about those over the top services. Um, mm. I wonder how much revenue they make from from the data you receive, you spend um, doing an email for that picture, and how much they make from the transaction of uh, sending an MMS, mm. and, and why that's not better because uh, it's amazing. Although we are going to cover off, um, it's certainly on the list of our things we're going to talk about in the future. We're going to talk about. Um, BBM and iMessage and was mm. it Kick that other standard and basically and um, the the operator's response to um, to to those and uh, general instant messaging. So um, yeah. listen out. All that newfangled we'll stuff that. that will never catch on anyway. <laughs> yes, it'll never work. Damn it. Um, okay, so uh, my bothersome thing 
my first bothersome thing is Wi-Fi, or at least Wi-Fi hotspots. Now, I quite like Wi-Fi hotspots generally. Wi-Fi is wonderful. When you go to Starbucks or whatever and you want to get your laptop out, mm. that's cool. I've got no problem with it. The trouble is, it's the way they work. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but where I live, loads of people have those BT Wi-Fi routers at home um, that allow you to share your connection publicly, and they put out um, BT Open Zone, which is a kind of a public public Wi-Fi hotspot. Have you chaps heard of those? I have, yeah. It's, uh, isn't that I, the link with Fon as well? Yeah, that's right. So um, basically, if you've got a BT Open Zone Wi-Fi account, you can jump onto that hotspot and use it through your paid-for account. And that's dead handy. And there's one in the station near us. And there's somebody actually within, you know, probably my next door neighbour's got one of those. And there's one down the road. And there's a few in. And there's a few actual genuine hot uh, hotspots, both um, BT and you know, a number of other sort of providers um, down down in the town. And that's all great. Um, but the trouble is, I spend most of the day sat on. Um, I spent most of the day sat here with my iPhone, for example, which is really good, a really good example. Um, or connected to Wi-Fi rather than connected to the really good strong 3G signal I've got here, passing no data whatsoever because um, the, in the Wi-Fi standard, there's nothing that includes any degree of authentication, or at least not that these Wi-Fi hotspot vendors uh, use. And so what you have to do is go into the stupid application like the BT one or go onto a mobile web page and put in your credentials or you know press login on my Boingo application or whatever in order for it to work. And then that eventually times out sooner or later. And so I spend half the day here with devices that aren't updating because they're connecting to Wi-Fi thinking that they're um, that's a better connection than 3G, but they're not smart enough to realise that it's not authenticated, so they can't actually pass any data to the internet. And um, the Wi-Fi standard isn't smart enough to, um, you know, to actually include that authentication piece in itself. Now, on my Android handset, for example, I use Boingo. Um, I've got a Boingo app I can leave running in the background and it will spot Boingo networks and log me in. But it's not fast enough. It does not instantaneous by any stretch of the imagination. So there's still loads of times when it's trying to authenticate me and it gets really confused if you move in and out of the hotspots like um, you do when you're walking through an airport, which is where in the UK there are loads of Boingo um, hotspots. And secondly, it just goes one step further to contributing to the crappy battery life that my Nexus S has got. You know, I can barely survive a day uh, using normal usage as it like as it is, never mind needing to run tons and tons of background apps just to keep me logged into Wi-Fi hotspots and all this other stuff. So it, it's driving me mad. And the, the, the benefit of having almost ubiquitous Wi-Fi where I live is actually turned into a real pain in the backside. There you go. Amen. Yeah, we can feel your anger, Ben. But yes. I agree with you, this whole handling or handover of connections between 3G and Wi-Fi is absolutely appalling. And also you get this if you try and do voice over IP on a uh, mobile handset as well. That can be a pretty terrible experience. And you get the same thing actually with uh, the microcells or the Pico cells, like the Vodafone Shore signal. That can give an equal number of problems as well. So this is something that really irritates me as well. And I would sort of extend it to just general handover between communication technologies. And it's something I'm aware of why it's complicated. And it kind of makes sense, but just take that complexity away, make it work. Yeah. And I can't believe it's so impossible to do that. What makes me really angry, actually, and you and you will know this because I think we met the guys from the cloud together way, way back, mm. is that the cloud network uses 
Mac-based authentication, which you know looks at the unique Mac address for the inter for the Wi-Fi interface on your device, compares it against the register that it holds, and if it recognises it, it just lets you onto the network. So it's completely seamless. There's no user log on other than the first time when you go through that registration process and i know you know talking to uh, guys at the cloud that they've put a lot of time and effort into that and it's quite hard to do but they've got it working and what irritates me is the idea that well if one provider's got it working and accepted maybe some of the compromises and the risks that go with it about you know the possibility that people might abuse the service and things like that why can't other operators reach the same conclusion and give us this kind of seamless experience why does bt for example have to insist you have to log in with a username and password every blink in time and actually most of the time you know you don't even know you're connected to their hotspots well, I just think it's ridiculous. Absolutely, that's why I don't use it. Well, and it's getting to the point now where I'm I'm walking around with Wi-Fi turned off, yeah. and then of course when you get into an airport or somewhere where perhaps you know, I mean that that's where I tend to spend a lot of my time on Wi-Fi on my mobile devices because the networks can be overloaded and you know the Wi-Fi coverage is generally pretty good and it's reasonably fast. You know, you've got to go through the faff of turning it all on again, and you still got to go through that log on process as well. It's a anyway. Not happy. Anyway. And we should bear in mind that actually Wi-Fi is generally more battery friendly than uh, a 3G data signal. On the most part, there are some exceptions to that. And so actually offloading onto 3G is really in the network's interest, quite apart from infrastructure and price point of view. But it's also in our interest for having a phone battery that lasts longer. Mm. You can probably guess what's coming next on my bot. Well, just before I hand over, just before I hand over to you to do your next bothersome thing, I just want to comment, Rafe, that I, I love the fact that we're talking to you in deepest darkest Sussex because I can genuinely hear birds singing in the background. It's uh, a no, pleasure. I think that's a parrot. Is that Rafe's parrot? Uh, no, no, it's his bird song in the background. There's a tree just outside the window, and actually, one of the uh, baby birds fell out the nest the other day, but was able to uh, fly back in again. I'm happy to report, but there's a whole load of tweeting going on, and it's not of the Twitter variety. Oh. Cutting satire, cutting satire. Yeah. And, and make sure you tune in in season two when Rafe will be giving us small bird updates uh, continuously through the series on the progress of the, uh, <laughs> of the various birds in and out of the nest. Uh, Rafe, uh, your next bothersome thing. Yes, bothersome thing number two. It's uh, one that gets complained about all the time, but I'm going to complain about it anyway, and that's battery life. Why can't battery technology keep up? And yes, I kind of know about why it can't keep up. But I remember when I was a lad, actually not that many years ago it's about last tuesday wasn't it well yeah exactly <laughs> phone batteries used to last forever you could reliably expect them to you know do a week before you had to think about recharging them and nowadays you just need to download an app or make a video call and you just stick it back in the wall and i find this really frustrating just from the point of view is my memory isn't what it used to be and therefore remembering to charge it every night doesn't always happen and so i wake up in the morning to find a dead phone and what makes it even worse is that there's now more and more handsets with integrated batteries so i can't take the battery out and swap it for one that is fully charged and that's even more annoying but yes just in general all these technologies coming from all this stuff in the name of progress all these fancy services and gizmos push email and push that and all this social networking nonsense just means my phone's consuming more and more power which means the battery runs out faster and faster and so it's all these faster processes you know core and all of this and it's you know it's just more power consumption all of the time and while we get all these other bits improving at 50 percent per year or whatever it is with Moore's law these days the battery technology only improves in about 10 percent increments 
So at this rate, in five years' time, the battery will need recharging every two hours, never mind every night. And that's what really confuses me, is because, you know, you've got... I mean, I think the Android devices are probably, in, in the collection I've got at the moment, are by far the worst. I've got this collection of you know, various Android devices, and they're getting thinner and thinner and smaller and smaller, which is all very brilliant, you know, and as you said, with massive screens and, and things. But the battery, even though battery technology itself isn't improving to keep up with you know, the power demands of these other things, um, Manufacturers aren't building handsets with larger batteries in to compensate as well. They're just slapping the same old batteries in that were in previous models and accepting that you know consumers will will take the um, the reduced lifespan. Because well, in, in some cases, it's actually you know it's a smaller battery than 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 the one you know, that came before it. I, yeah, I you know you know why this is, don't you? It's the young people's fault because they accept the fact they have to charge their phone every six hours. They can't remember the days where you go three or four days. And yeah, I I wouldn't mind a bigger handset just to have a bigger battery in it. And obviously, I've been using uh, Symbian devices for a number of years, and they're actually pretty good on battery usage. You know, you do switch to other things, and you're sort of slightly horrified by the thought that your battery won't even last a day. Well, I'm sort of accustomed to at least doing a day and a half. Um, yeah, I, I think the thing is, Rafe, the reason that the battery lasts uh, three weeks on my Symbian devices is because I leave them turned off in a drawer because they're so miserable oh. to use. <laughs> well, that's, that's maybe uh, a fair point. But joking all aside, I do think this kind of idea of uh, energy consumption in devices really needs more uh, attention. And this has to be both at a platform level where there are certain things that you can do in terms of making more intelligent use of notifications, for example. And to be fair, we've seen that come in. You know, obviously, Apple, Android, Symbian, they're all at it, and Windows Phone as well, of course. And that's great because if you share an outgoing uh, connection with a notification service, that obviously means there's less connections going on to the internet. And it's data consumption that is really the real killer on battery life, by the way. But at the same time, I think more could be done. But I also think individual developers of third-party application, of course, the built-in ones as well, need to be more aware of energy consumption usage on their devices. And, you know, you can actually make a program more efficient in terms of energy usage if you intelligently do the connections. But also it can be something as simple as the background colour. Now, most of the really modern smartphones have AMOLED or derivations of that screen technology and yet they use a white background. And that's the single most energy-intensive thing you can do on an AMOLED screen. You'd be better off using a black screen, for example, because that requires much less power. And the difference is up to 15 times more power to make a screen white. And obviously, the majority of applications, particularly in the productivity realm, but also in general, use a white screen. Switch it to black, and it suddenly becomes a lot more efficient. Um, and I, I probably sound like a, a proponent for Nokia here, but actually that's the reason all of Nokia's recent themes defaulted on their phone, on their AMOLED devices, are black. Yet you look at what uh, Samsung is doing with Android, and to a certain extent this is true of Apple on the iPhone as well, and you get a lot of white. And so uh, it's just a general call for developers and manufacturers to try and think about energy efficiency You know, when they're actually building the software, building the devices. Um, and, you know, it's an environmental thing as well, of course. Um, and I, well, if you're going to if you're going to build um, devices with sealed batteries, and I actually don't mind that too much because you know, apart from the geeks, I don't know many people who actually ever had spare batteries, and and even then, you do, I'd always forget to bring mine with me, kind of mm. stuff. But if you're going to build devices with sealed batteries, that means you can make weird, inflexible shaped batteries that fit into every little nook and cranny, and you know, space in the case or whatever, and you can do you know far more. Um, inventive things than you would if you had to make a nice square one that you could you know slot in and out easily for you know consumer access so you know 
accepting that you know the this sort of chemistry and and the technology behind batteries uh, hasn't progressed that rapidly why the hell aren't we just getting larger batteries just by virtue of cleverer use of space i mean you know we we see how um, manufacturers rave about how they're able to optimize all the internal components in these devices over time well batteries doesn't seem to be one of them because you know you open up an n8 or an iphone or anything it's just a stock square you know battery that could easily be a user replaceable unit that's right and we've actually seen these kind of i think you're talking about lithium polymer batteries here for the most part kind of the flexible plastic yeah. one we've actually seen them in laptops yet we haven't seen them in mobile devices which strikes me as a bit strange simply because the physical constraints within a mobile phone are far more acute than they are within a laptop and so the idea of doing that would seem to me to be a lot more complicated i will just put in a bit of defense to the manufacturer here Part of the problem with batteries is they can have interference with the electronics, particularly obviously things like aerials within the phone. And so there's sometimes a need to do some separation and you have to be careful about what you put in to avoid too much interference. Because obviously if it's got poor signal, then there's no point in having power at all because you can't make the phone call or have the data connection. But it does seem to me there's room for a lot of progress. And every year we get some kind of new battery technology. For example, I think there's been a move to put in uh, uh, sort of uh, substrates within batteries and of various substances, and that's said to both improve the life cycle of a battery in terms of the number of charges it can take, but also improve the capacity. And yet it sometimes seems to me all these fantastic new innovations that we hear about never seem to translate into the real market. Mm. And most of the efficiencies have come down purely through improving existing technology and just packing in a little bit more capacity to the same space. So I think we're well overdue a kind of a revolution in batteries. And I'm sure someone is going to do a comment on let's all have fuel cells in the phones. And obviously that's not going to work because of health and safety on aeroplanes and things like that. But there must be some kind of technology that can come in. And we're not, you know, talking about fantastic innovations. Sure, I'd like to have a solar power panel behind my screen that, you know, can top things up. But it needs to be something rather more fundamental than that, I feel. Well, um, you want to tell that to Samsung? who uh, I, I was reading one of their adverts in a magazine. It's a Samsung Galaxy S2, which is 8.49 millimeters thin. And I'm looking at it, it goes, look, it's, it's amazing. We've got this brilliant, super thin phone. I actually just looked at it and thought, you know what? Uh, why don't you just make it twice as thick? Twice as thick and triple or double or whatever the battery power, right? Because you know, I haven't picked up the, the Galaxy S2 yet. Uh, but you know it's going to be absolutely rubbish from a battery standpoint, right? It's, it's, it's a law, right? It's a good-looking handset, and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous-looking screen, but the battery is guaranteed to be just absolutely rubbish. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Ewan. Um, thinness is sometimes not necessarily a good thing. You get to the point where the handset starts slipping out of your hand, and especially if you've got... Um, I'm per- perfectly serious here. This is a, a joke in a sense, but... If you've got you know larger hands or if you're got arthritis or stiffness in your joints actually getting very thin can become a real problem and that just leads to you dropping the handset which obviously smash glass screens because it's also much harder from a structural engineering point of view to make a robust phone that's also thin because the room you've got to put in a metal chassis for example is much less and therefore the kind of tolerances that it can take in terms of when it's being dropped become less and Frankly, there comes a point where thinness uh, becomes too much of a, a fad. Naturally, you want to go back to something that's maybe got a bigger battery, it's just a bit more robust and can take more daily wear and tear. 
Yeah, and I have to say, um, things can be too thin is a motto I've lived my life by as well. So, uh, you know, I think that's, uh, <laughs> that's something that everybody should remember. Um, it's slightly rounded is beautiful in, in my world. Uh, we're nearly running out of time, so I'm going to do one more bothersome thing, and then I think we're going to wrap it up, although actually we haven't even begun to scratch the scratch oh, no. list, have we? We had tons more. Perhaps we'll do another one in Series 2. Um, my final bothersome thing, mobile applications that don't, accommodate the fact that sometimes your mobile device not be connected to a network or will be connected very slowly or in patchy coverage and a case in point here is apple's bloody email client on the ipad and the iphone yeah which when you press send on the email client if you're not connected to the network or you're in a poor reception area doesn't just queue the email into your outbox as any sensible thing would and then send it in the you know 30 seconds a minute later um it sends you it pops you up a um a dialog box that says oh i'm not connected at the moment you can't do that and then brings you back to the edit screen and if you're unlucky enough to delete try to perhaps delete uh, highlight and delete four or five emails all in one go and you and, and they're in an area of poor coverage it'll go Oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Cancel. I'm sorry, you can't do that. Cancel. Keep going round. Rob, it's Fisher-Price, isn't it? Fisher-Price email. It's it's amazing to me. I mean, particularly with Apple, a company that's renowned for usability sends you the same alert multiple times for the same failed action when, frankly, it was entirely inevitable that that action was going to fail because the, the phone knows that I'm not connected right now. It knows I've got no bars of signal strength or you know, it knows that um, it's all queued up. It's just amazing. But I mean, Apple aren't the only ones. I mean, do you guys think of any examples of apps that don't cope well? Well, I think almost any. Uh, I mean, there's quite a few. I, I, I sometimes try to use Instagram when I think I've got service, but I haven't. And it's, I have to actually quit out of Instagram just and then restart it because the, the internal gubbings probably the Apple operating system isn't handling the, this kind of failed connection very well. It's, it's particularly acute when I've got a, um, a hotel connection that I need to keep v- revalidating. Really annoying. I, I wonder whether web browsing in general might fall into this category. I sometimes think it would be quite clever if a device could switch to the mobile website when you're on a 2G connection where obviously data is the big constraint, especially these days where we've got smartphones with the bigger screens and the better browsers that can cope with a desktop site. And I know a lot of people use them in preference, but Try browsing a desktop site on a 2G connection, and it's a complete nightmare. Yeah, and actually, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm down on BlackBerry you know, for quite a lot of reasons. And actually, one of the things we're not going to have time to talk about is um, BlackBerry Internet Service, because I had a whole dire tribe about how dire that is and how you know, dire email mm. for consumers is on Blackberries. But we, we won't go into that now. But one of the good things it does do is if you're in poor signal, it says, I can't load the page right now. Do you want to save this request? And it does sort of put it in a list and you can then come back to it and sort of resubmit that request to the page, which is kind of, it's not as elegant as it could be, because I think the, it, it's a sort of a slightly outdated approach, but it does, it does at least sort of queue something up and it allows you to keep working. Um, so, it's, you know, it's not terrible, but yeah, I mean, particularly email clients and things. I mean, why would email ever be a, you know, a synchronous activity? Why would I ever want to wait for them to get finished? It's amazing. Okay, so um, we're going to do a short one this time around just because we think that uh, you've probably heard enough of us whinging. Uh, any closing points, chaps? Yes, while, while I'm moaning about things, definition of smartphone, megapixel race, specifications race, sync in general. I mean, I better stop now because okay. it'll just go on and on. But I've, I, I started this podcast feeling really quite happy and light. And, you know, there was lovely birdsong going on. But now I'm feeling really 
angry and grumpy and depressed and basically it's all your fault ben okay well you go you go and find that that bird that fell out of the tree and you, you stamp on it and see if it makes you feel any better <laughs> i'm feeling quite happy now uh, after hearing Rafe uh, go absolutely nuts well and I, and I should stress that no small birds were harmed in the making of this podcast uh, i am of course joking <laughs> Um, look, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for listening to all 10 of these, if you have. Um, we've really appreciated all the feedback that we've been getting. Um, if you've got any suggestions for bothersome things of your own, please leave a comment wherever you hear this podcast and um, head over to our microsite, 361degre.es, and uh, say hi there. We'll be doing a few more shout-outs and hellos, and uh, also we'll be taking some requests for topics that we're going to cover in the future over there as well, so let us know. We're going to be taking a break now for about uh, two three weeks we'll be uh, coming back with a new set of topics and uh, kicking off then with hopefully some interviews and uh, a little bit of insight into some more exciting topics um guys thank you very much for your time it's been a pleasure um ewan when are you back from the states i am flying back in three days time cool so i think we're going to get together and do a bit of a best of episode um just before we wrap this series up so we're going to put our heads together and think about the um bits of the previous podcast we've liked best if you've got any comments on um, what you wanted to hear more of or what we did well or badly let us know and we'll include those in the episode i I think the uh, listeners would like to hear some uh, shout outs and and shout outs definitely coming next series i i I reckon that will give me long enough to talk you out of it Uh. okay guys thank you very much for your time (laughs) thank you for listening leave a comment and uh, goodbye